she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressed around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came to fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I'm going to say a short prayer. Our Heavenly Father, who holds all power in the world, who is all majesty, who is all great, be with us today, Lord, and show your power among us, the power that changes our minds and our thoughts, Lord, and protects us. So be with us in our service today that we may glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. Well, the first question is what? In verse 5, 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Verse 26, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She was in poor physical health for 12 years. No doctor could help her. No medicine could help her. As time went by, she couldn't help herself. It was useless. She had no money. She couldn't even touch anybody. She was isolated and lonely and got worse. She was desperate. Some of you today are probably desperate here. Like this woman, I had issues in my life with my emotions. They were improving. I tried, but I got no better. I was desperate. My father left home and deserted his family when I was in seventh grade. I was the second to the youngest. My parents had an eighth grade education and they were born in Missouri and I was born in Illinois, but they were known as hillbillies. A wonderful term to me today. So people looked down in our family and when my father left at home, it made me feel more out of place and with family, with people looking down on me. I had no real friends. My school principal, who was my neighbor in this suburb town of, from Chicago of 800 people, invited me in his office one day. And he looked at me as I sat across his desk and he said, Dennis, I've given up on you. You can do what you want to do. That made me feel bad and even more lonely. I was a poor student. I failed 11th grade. It embarrassed me and shamed me. 
when my father made it worse. Like this woman, no one cared for me except my mother. God bless mothers. So this woman and I were in both desperate and we came to bitterness to everything and everybody. Today, some of you may have bitterness like I did. I took dangerous chances. I believed nobody could hurt me, even though I was 5'10 and 135 pounds. I got in a fight one day with someone smaller than me because I thought he stole a penny piece of my candy. I got him down on the ground and I started choking him. And he said, Dennis, you're choking me. I can't breathe. All of a sudden, this bitterness and anger scared me. It came up and hatred came up within me. I didn't know where it was from or what it was. He passed out. Three seconds, he came, came awake. Almost murdered this person with bitterness and anger that destroys life. I see him in jail all the time on death row. They killed somebody for dating their girlfriend. They had the same thing I did. That is, no one will get the best of me. I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to get even with you. It starts out small in school by talking about somebody behind your back. But it can grow and grow and grow into bitterness that consumes your life. Later, I went to see this person, maybe a month or two later. He had a shotgun, he pointed at me, and he said, Dennis, I'm going to kill you. I don't care what happens to me. I'm tired of you picking on me. And all of a sudden, no one can hurt me. So I said, go ahead, kill me. I don't care, I don't care. I thought it was calling his bluff. All of a sudden, something said to me, he might mean it. So I turned around and walked away, and as I did, he yelled, I can't pull the trigger, I can't pull the trigger. And I walked out the door. A few months later, I got a little bag and put stuff in it so someone would come out their back door and step on it and get garbage or whatever we put on our feet. He didn't come out. The next day, I learned that he was pointing a shotgun at me through the window. His wife, listen to what his wife said, don't kill him. So within a period of six months, people tried to murder me or kill me, whatever you want to call it. But God protected me. This woman prayed for her, probably had her family praying for her, but I did not believe in God, so I wasn't praying. But I had a mother who prayed for me all the time. Romans 8, 20, 8, Romans 8, 26 and 27. It talks about, and this was my mother when she'd pray. I could hear her, God, give me strength to keep going. She had to walk a half mile downtown through snow, sleet, rain, to catch a ride for 22 years to a neighboring town, making switches in a factory at minimum wage. But I could hear her, when she'd pray, she'd pray, and I'd hear groaning. And the Bible says when there's groaning, that's the Holy Spirit interceding for us. 
So the Holy Spirit was praying for me on my mother's behalf. When the Holy Spirit prays, God always answers. The reason is because the Holy Spirit knows God's heart. That's why I wasn't killed twice, why I wasn't beaten up many times by people that always wanted to beat me up for some reason in this town and neighboring town. So my mother kept talking to me about, Dennis, go out there to that Central High School in McPherson, Kansas. Mother, you don't have any money. I don't want to go out there. I'll get the money somehow. Your younger brother's there. Your other brother went to the same school. Your cousins are there from Ashburn, Missouri. Mother, I'm not going. But she kept praying for me to go. And the Holy Spirit interceding. One night I walked down this town of 800, and, which I did every evening. Stood in a corner and this, with three other kids, four usually. And as I approached three of them, they looked different at me. I said, what's the matter? He said, Caldwell, we want to beat you up. I said, what for? Just because we want to. The biggest one said he wanted to be first. I got in front of Glidden's drugstore where they couldn't get behind me. I thought I had two choices. I could take off running and they could catch me and beat me up. But worse yet, I could walk away and they wouldn't do anything. And my reputation at school being a tough person, although I wasn't, would be destroyed. They'd call me weakling, sissy, make fun of me. I couldn't have that. I, I was tough, although I was a skinny runt because I was full of bitterness and hatefulness. So as he approached me before he could do anything, I attacked him and knocked him to the ground. Then I took off running home so the others couldn't get me. I ran through the first yard and there was always two steel poles in the ground with a wire clothesline through where people hand clothes. So I put my hands up in the air so I wouldn't hit it, I couldn't stop. You know, the clothesline was down. I could have been hurt real bad. The only time that clothesline was ever down. I ran on home, opened the door, it was about eight at night, and my mother laying back there on the first floor, resting from her day at work. Dennis, is that you? Yes, mother. You're home early, is anything wrong? Isn't that like a mother? They know something was wrong. No, mother's thing's fine. They called on the phone, and I answered and said, you heard so-and-so real bad. I hung up, and pretty soon two carloads of people came by, and people on motorcycles, there were about 12, 14, 15 people yelling, come outside, we want to beat you up. And mother must have heard it. She said, don't look out of the curtain. I'll figure out what to do. She called my father, who lived 10 miles away, Took me up to Wisconsin for the weekend to his summer home and his father's summer home and then took me to his house for the week and then my mother sent me down to Ashburn, Missouri where my grandmother lived. At the end of the summer, my mother called and said, Dennis, you can't come home. They're still looking for you. You have to go to Central High School in Kansas. 
the place she prayed for me to go to. I had to go because I got run out of town. Isn't it funny how God answers prayers? So I got here. When I did, that's when I got blown off the walk. And senior, I got kicked out of high school for being a bad influence. They didn't know any, everything I just told you. It's just how I acted. My mother called, and my brother called, and my mother prayed, and they let me back in school. They said, Dennis, you have to behave yourself. I said, okay, I'll behave myself. They were mainly pranks, you know, things. So anyway, I spent the summer there at the school, and I had to go to revivals. So they said to me, first of all, Dennis, you have to go to chapel. I'm not going to chapel. You'll be kicked out of school, Dennis, if you don't go to chapel. I thought, I can't go home. I have no place to go. I'll have to go to chapel. Church service, Dennis, you have to go. I'm not going. Said to myself, I'll be kicked out of school, and I have no place to go. A revival's coming. I'm not going. You have to go. You'll be kicked out of school, and I have no place to go. God had me where he wanted, going to chapel, church, and revivals to hear his word. As I sat there with bitterness and anger, people came up to me and said, would you go to the altar, Dennis? I said, get out of here. Get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. And they left me alone. Somebody came up and said in another revival, Dennis, we're praying for you. I didn't say you could pray for me. Quit praying for me. I don't want anybody to pray for me. Oh, I was full of evilness and bitterness. Then the evangelist was preaching one night. And... He didn't mention me, but he was preaching about me. And I thought, you can't do that. No one ever talks about me. I'm going to go outside and bump you over. Dennis, you can't do that. You have no place to go. So I walked by him and gave him a dirty look, and he smiled at me. So, so I behaved myself this year. So this woman, and later myself, knew that Jesus was the only one to help us with our desperation. Verse 27 and 28. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. So... Her and I both began searching for Jesus because we were desperate. So as she was going through the crowd, she probably yelled out his name, Jesus, Jesus, I'm over here, Jesus, I'm over here. Well, he didn't hear her because all the crowd was loud. So she worked her way through the crowd, and as she did, she reached down and touched his garment, which time she was instantly healed because she had faith. She was no longer desperate. She was no longer lonely. She was touched by Jesus. So I went, I couldn't go home. So after high school, I went out to Boise, Idaho to spend with my brother. 
I didn't have any money, so I got a great big cardboard box and threw my clothes in it and wrapped it up with twine, and the trains went every place back then, and caught a train and went to Boise, Idaho, and out of the boxcar, I got my great big box, the clothes hanging out the side because the box was ripped. My brother picked me up, and we drove to his house where I spent the summer. But I wanted to meet Jesus. I was desperate. And Jesus was the only one to remove the desperation in my life. So I came back to Central. And I came back in January of 1962. I'd always sat way in the back. But you know, the Holy Spirit finds its way way in the back no matter where we sit. I used to count the squares in the ceiling to keep my mind occupied. But the Spirit would find me back there. So in March of 1962, a week-long revival, my mother praying for me and people at school praying for me. I got up and sat ten rows from the back, about right over there. From the front, excuse me. And I went over to the old church and they have crank windows still. I got up and cranked the window open to feel like what it's like to get up from the pew. And I did it three times and people stared at me. And What's Caldwell up to over there? Well, the altar call came and all during the service I prayed to God, God, I don't have the nerve to do this. I'm scared. Help me, God. If I don't do this tonight, I'll never do it. And I prayed and prayed to God. And then we stood, and the song came just as I am. I said, God, help me stand in this aisle. I don't have the courage. I'm scared. And just at that second, I find myself in the middle of that aisle, stuck my head under that great big beam to make sure I didn't hit it in this church that's over there. Went down the altar the first time I ever remember crying in my life. I was no longer desperate. God is the only one that can remove desperation in your life. The only one who can give you comfort and reassurance. Well, I found out when I submitted a, a request to be a chaplain back home, they wanted my high school transcript. They didn't want the college one. I went on to Bethany Nazarene College, went on to uh, Trinity University and Graduate School in San Antonio. Texas and hospital administration. So God has given me a, a wonderful life, a blessed life. He's given me all kinds of hope. So I went out to uh, Idaho again for the summer. Then I came back and got married, hauled garbage around in Deaconess Hospital and dirty linen, carried tools for the maintenance men because I couldn't fix anything. But you know, I started to tell you a second ago when I applied to be a chaplain back home, I had to get my high school grades. I didn't want the college ones. You know, when I got my grades, I made a D minus like I thought. I should have not have flunked high school. But if I wouldn't have flunked, they would have never taken me to the junior college because of my grades. So God will allow bad things to happen and interfere and make, turn them into good things.
because I don't know if I'd ever been a believer if I didn't come to Central College. So anyway, I was at Deaconess Hospital, hauling garbage. About four years later, I five, I volunteered to be a, a given these things as examples of God opens doors for us. He wants us to have a better life. I'm not talking about give me a Cadillac and stuff like that. But about four or five years later, I became an advanced man for a presidential election. I was in Tucson at that time, and I was trained by the Secret Service, uh, not, in, uh, not a security, but a range of events. And I met uh, one of the trips, I met the president's brother in Topeka, Kansas. I went to, uh, they called me, I went out to Portland. I just tell people I'm taking three days off to work. I got a call that uh, the president's uh, director of communications was threatened. And they told me to stand back when he got off the plane and there was two undercover secret service agents walking behind him. And I worked with celebrities and I got a call to go to the big ballroom at Hilton Hotel in Washington, D.C. at the president's speaking engagement. So God opened doors and I learned detailed planning from that. I had good jobs in hospital administration starting my career out. And I learned detailed planning on that. So then 20 years later after hauling garbage, I was the first director of health and human services in South Carolina. I had attorney generals on my staff, doctors, PhDs, the largest, second to largest budget in the state government, the most powerful person in healthcare in the state because I got decided who got paid and how much, hospitals, nursing homes, on and on. But if I didn't come to Central and become a Christian, God wouldn't open all those doors for me. I was the youngest person ever appointed to a high-level health council in Washington. The White House cleared me and recommended me to the Department of Health and Human Services when I was about 26. So my life went on. And about seven years ago, before I tell you this, let me read what's now. It's in uh, verse 34. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and free from your suffering. So that's what God removed from me. He healed me from my bitterness and anger. Like I say, I see people in death row and the jail all the time. They got him there for killing somebody, even in the county jail. Forty years, one guy in the jail I met because he killed a guy for dating his girlfriend. He borrowed a gun from the guy sitting next to him who thought it was a big deal to carry around a gun. Well, he went to jail too. He put the gun to the guy's head in front of him in the car and shot him in the head and killed him for dating his girlfriend. So you never know how the bitterness will grow in your life. So don't let it overtake you. And know that Jesus is the only one that can remove the bitterness and hatefulness in your life. So the question becomes then, if you've got bitterness and hatefulness and you're desperate. Oh, I've known people desperate. I knew a blind lady in the nursing home late seven years in the bed blind. She was desperate. But when I'd knock on her door, she knew my knock. Is that you, Dennis? Yes, it's me. She cheered me up, and she was blind for seven years. So you may think you're desperate, 
there's worse. But we'll have an altar call for all of you that are desperate. And we're going to do just as I am the same song that I stood for went to the altar at this school. I thank God for a praying mother. I thank a God that protected me and a God that left me to Central College because the faculty is here to pray for you. So at this time, if anybody wants to come and pray, if you're desperate to remove the desperation in your life, as this song is sung, please sing it. in prayer in a minute so I hope you remember from this that God is in a miracle business he answers prayers he watches after you he opens doors for opportunities for a kid that was ran out of town and had no choice and no future God opened many doors for me in my life this is not about me, but it's about what God does. I was just elected by the General Assembly in South Carolina to serve in a board that audits all of South Carolina government. 
most powerful board in the state because I prayed to God that I might get on it. And on that board, I could use it to glorify Him. So as you go, remember that those that are desperate, which we all have degrees, don't let it get the best of you. Don't let the bitterness grow. But know Jesus helps you. He will give you relief from your desperation. Now close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your mercies, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done for my life, Lord. And as you continue to work through me, Lord, in spreading your word. These are dangerous times, Lord, as we read about prophecy. The whole world is coming desperate, Lord. And help all believers begin witnessing for you. And be with the students and the teachers here who may be desperate, Lord. That they may turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.